are listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for April 2012. Today's episode is titled Anatomy of a Startup. For many, the ultimate measure of success is being a business owner. This is so revered in America that it is known as the American dream. The reasons for starting a business may vary, but most people seem to embark on the journey to achieve wealth or employment freedom, both viewed as marks of success. Starting a business or organization is daunting, and in the natural, the odds of success are low. But if God has called you to start a business or organization, there will be a way because God funds His will. There are two keys to success. First, you must seek the will of the Lord and then align with His will. And second, you must learn and practice God's ways of economics and business. You can try to learn and discern His will and ways on your own, which you should, but if you don't seek godly help, you will make many mistakes. The most effective means to learn how to live accordingly to the will and ways of God is to submit to discipleship by someone who knows how to live accordingly. And now, Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Anatomy of a Startup. Well, Lord, thank you for this time to uh, talk today. We're going to talk about the anatomy of, start, of a startup. Uh, I've said startup business. I probably just said, said startup because the principles that you use to start a business are the same principles that you use to start anything. Uh, whether you're starting a church, a small group, um, starting a family, uh, any kind of organization, you need to follow principles to properly discern what the organization does and to execute it. Now today, I am the warm-up act for Joe. Joe's going to give you uh, his experience in starting the company, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. So do you think that maybe Joe's got something to share? Those of you that know something of what he's gone through the last seven years, uh, Joe and I were privileged to go to Switzerland with Dennis in 2005, and Joe and I rendezvoused at the DFW airport to catch a flight to Zurich, and our first conversation was about Joe's new startup business. He just bought a software company, and it was one of those, oh, really, conversations, and why did you do that? So um, I think Joe will be able to share some of that with you, and hopefully you'll glean some lessons from his experience. Also, you guys are a guinea pig for me this morning. Is this okay? This is the first time that I have attempted to do a PowerPoint with an iPad. Uh, and I have some expectation that it will work, but I do not have a high expectation. So. If we have technical issues, please bear with us and don't just assume it's a postmodern problem. It is a sin problem because of Steve Jobs and his arrogance and the way he chooses he chooses to design his products. But at some point, somebody in this industry is going to repent, and they're going to develop a great iPad, and it will do everything that your your laptop will do and more. So right now we have partial. Um, partial obedience at work at Apple Computer, so that's why we have partial success. <laughs> All right, now we got everybody warmed up. Um, let's see if this will work here. Well, the, the first thing I want to point out to you is the starting point for starting anything is God. In the beginning, God is a reality for all of us, no matter what we do. What we study, what we're attempting to accomplish, we have to begin with God. So the question is, what do you know about business and where did you learn it? Now, if you're like me and like most of us, and I think Dennis 
has told us enough about his background that he would agree with this. We've learned most of what we know without much thought about Christ. Would you agree with that? I went to the university here in Texas. Um, there is one university here. We call it the university, just to be very clear. And um, it's it's uh, got a lot of very you know bright people, and uh, they were very accomplished people. But and. Huh? <laughs> well, this, there's, a di- there's a difference between arrogance and truth. Okay? So we're trying to dwell in truth here, okay? But all humility. But in all the classes I took from all my professors, never did one of the professors walk into the room and say, gentlemen, our conversation begins with God. That was just a foreign idea, and we could go into the history of all this, and we're not going to have time to do it. But the point to realize is, and hopefully all of us are being convicted, that if we don't start our thinking about any topic with God, a correct view of God, then our thinking will be flawed. Because he created everything. He's the definer of everything. He is the source of all truth and all wisdom. So we have to begin with him on any issue. You want to talk about marriage, you've got to start with God. You want to talk about family, you've got to start with God. You want to talk about business, you have to start with God. You want to talk about public policy, you have to start with God. Theology drives everything. And so your theology... And one of the challenges today is that we have succumbed to a, a wrong view of God because we haven't paid attention to what Scripture says. We have built on worldly thinking. And Paul warns us against this in Colossians chapter 2. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. You see, Christ is the only basic principle that is true. Any other so-called basic principle is a lie, it's an error, it's deception. So we, you know, my education has been largely based on worldly thinking. So as Dennis has many times told us, you've got, you've got to face that reality, and his analogy of how you face it is you've got to knock over your bookcases, which is a picture of you've got to, you've got to attack the thinking that you have in your mind and bring it under submission to Christ. You've got to be willing to face that you may be very wrong about a lot of what you believe you think is true. So as a starting point for business, one of the things we have to do is think about the gospel. The common gospel today is the gospel of heaven. This is the truncated gospel of a, about as a postmodern gospel. Now truncated means that something has been cut off. That's what we mean by truncated. So the gospel of heaven has some truth in it. Although it's very interesting, recently I did a study of eternal life in, in, in the New Testament. I looked at every text in the New Testament that talked about eternal life, and there was not one text that associated eternal life with going to heaven. found that very interesting because you know, we're, all, we're all consumed with going to heaven. And that doesn't seem to be what Scripture is saying. So we're saying, well, gee, what's wrong with us? Where are we off? You know, 
we're getting ready to have a, a lady teach a class here on heaven. And I don't know what she's going to say, but, you know, it makes me wonder what she's going to say. Is she really looked at what Scripture says, or is she following the popular thinking of today? So is it okay that, that we need to challenge ourselves here? Can we do that? Can we challenge ourselves that maybe what we think is true maybe isn't as true as, as we might want to believe it's true? And what we need to, to focus on is there is truth, and it comes through the Word of God. You see, a postmodern philosophy is there is no absolute truth. Truth is whatever is true for you. But Scripture says Jesus Christ is the epitome, the definition, the incarnation of truth. So we have an absolute truth. So that's what we're trying to tie ourselves to. So this postmodern gospel has given us a wrong view of reality. And so we think that God is all about giving us whatever we want. And we define it ourselves. For example, we define eternal life. And we define it in terms of a place, heaven, and time. That is, we live on forever. You know how Jesus defined eternal life? Does anybody know how he defined it? John 17, 3, he defined it. He said, and this is eternal life, that you may know him, referring to the Father. That is what really eternal life is. It's knowing the Father. It's a relation with our Creator, a relationship with our Creator. That is the essence of eternal life. So we've got to get biblical definitions of these terms. God is not about comfort, security, convenience, pleasure, health, success, and money based on our definitions. Now, he is about all those things based on his definitions. And so that's where we've got to get over to the true gospel. The gospel is not about our will, but his will. And this I find very hard, working with my clients, to get them to start thinking about what is the will of God. Because we are so trained to think like the world. And it's all about our personal convenience, our personal pleasure, our comfort, our agendas. It's our will in our retirement, right? So we want a true gospel. I pray we want a true gospel. The true gospel begins with a correct view of who God is. Sound theology. So he tells us in Genesis chapter 1, you guys already know this, why is man here? We're not here primarily to go to visitation on Monday nights to get a bunch of people come to church next Sunday. Now, when I was growing up as a Baptist, that's what I thought we were supposed to do. Hey, just get people at church. That's the end-all, be-all. Get them saved so they're going to heaven, and that was it. Christianity had nothing to do with anything else. In fact, everything else was just kind of something you had to do so you could be a Christian at church. And you had no sense about what it was to be a Christian in the workplace. So we've got to get a true, correct understanding. Everybody get what I'm saying there is... Is that common to you all? I mean, by just are Southern Baptists the only ones that face that issue? Okay. Well, everywhere I go, I find that's a common reality. So, if man is here truly to rule God's creation, that is why He made us. And what's impeded that is sin. The sin of Adam and Eve took us out of the garden, which would have been a wonderful context in which to execute the rule of God. Would that be everything's provided for you in a garden? Now you're no longer in the garden. Now you've got to go, you've got to go bring dominion, and you've got to deal with, I've got to provide for myself too. See, the garden was all there. We could take taken dominion so much easier, but now sin is an impediment. 
And so we've got to deal with the sin issue, and the sin issue is dealt with through Christ. So as we bring the reality of Christ into our life, and we walk in that reality, then we have the freedom in Christ to do what we were created to do. Now I want to just remind you again of a text we talk about a lot, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's a text that we camp on a good bit because it is so clear. And one of the principles of interpreting Scripture is clear Scripture interprets unclear Scripture. So you go for the clear Scripture. So this is a very clear Scripture about reality. It says how we're saved. We all know this. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this doesn't come from us. We don't conjure up the faith. It's the gift of the Spirit, which means nobody's going to come to Christ unless they're moved of the Spirit. Which is, gives you a clue as to how Jesus lived. You know, we talk about how Jesus only did what Father, they saw the Father doing. Well, that's how we're supposed to live. So we're looking, where's the Holy Spirit working? And we need to go work where the Holy Spirit's working. So when we see the Holy Spirit moving somebody, let's go see if we have a role to play. So that person may be coming to faith in Christ by virtue of the work of the Spirit. And why are they coming to Christ? 4, verse 10. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God planned in advance for you to do. In other words, there's a plan, there's a meta-narrative. God is very intentional about creating each person. Christ is needed to release us to do what we're created to do. So this is a true gospel. It's a more complete gospel. It's a gospel now of obedience to the creation mandate to rule God's creation. So as we, we reflect on that, then we ask the question, what's the point of business? What's the purpose of business? See, business is not about making money. That's what we think it is. We go into business, we start organizations to make money. Now, we start 501c3s, to execute our perspective on what significance it is. You hear what I'm saying? People come to Christ today, and they have this profound encounter, and now they want to give their life to God, and they don't know how to do that. The only way they know how to do it is I've got to go be a pastor, or I've got to go start my own ministry. They have no concept that they could be called a business. In fact, when I talk to people about this, you can tell, you know, they're kind of struggling to get there. And I point them to this text, and they just, many of them have said, well, gee, I knew Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but I never knew Ephesians 2, 2 10. Because we, we stopped reading where we had understanding. Okay, we got 2, 8, and 9, but we didn't understand this 2, 10 thing, so we just forgot about it. Or we reinterpreted it, so we, uh, good works is like helping an old lady across the street. And so the wrong view of the gospel blocks you from seeing what God wants to do in your life. This is why you have to have a correct view of the gospel. So the correct starting point for any organization is first sound theology, which means a sound view about who man is, what man's condition is, and what God has done to remedy that condition. So that brings us then to the whole issue of the will. And my thesis today is that most professing Christians are deists. And I speak as one who fights deism myself. Because it's, it's, in, it's like an infection in us. It's all in our culture. It's in our people. We think deistically. And here's a simple way to test yourself. Now, <clears throat> y'all look at me. Respond to me. How many of you 
are in a church setting of some sort. Are all of you in a church setting? Okay. So when a problem comes up, what is the first thing that you do in that setting? Don't you start praying? And the first thing you start praying? Now, put yourself in your business context. A problem comes up. What's the first thing you do? Got to fix it. Got to solve it. Yeah, hey, let's, let's look at our options here. Let's come up with a strategy. We'll fix this problem. You see, we don't even think the same in the business world. The first thing we ought to be thinking is, well, Lord, what do you want to do? What's your will? What principles that you have for us to apply here to understand this situation and to walk it out? See, we, we, does everybody get that? Is anybody convicted? Nobody's convicted. Just me? Am I the only one convicted? Okay, Ryan's convicted. All right, thank you, Ryan. One person's convicted here. Well, I, let, me, let me suggest we're all deistic here. We don't think the same way in our businesses as we do in our churches, and that says we're dualistic, we're deistic. So if we're going to discern the will of God, we've got to get rid of the deism. We've got to fight that. Now, I listed this text here in Isaiah for you just to point out to you that God is engaged. He's very particular. And just, just notice the part where it says that he's talking about um, his purpose will stand. He will do all that he pleases. From the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. You see how particular he is? He didn't say birds. He didn't say flocks. He didn't say men or armies or nations. He, saw, he said a man. He's very individual. He's very personal. He's very specific. He's very strategic in how he operates. So we have to get very clear on that, that that's how he, he wants to function. When you start a business or start any organization, the question is not what is your will, but what is his will? What does he want to do? How does that tie into the meta narrative? If you cannot tie in your personal purpose to the meta narrative, if you can't tie in the purpose that God has for that organization to the meta narrative, my thesis is you probably don't know what God wants to do with you or your organization. Now, if God is holistic, holistic, that means he's engaged in everything. He has a will, and he has ways for everything. There are principles for everything. To rule well in God's universe, you must build according to God's principles, his will and his way. And, of course, his will is that we be intentional about doing what we were created to do, and his ways are laid out for us in Scripture, the principles of Scripture. And I just appealed to Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6 for you to look at. Okay, I said this was the setup back for Joe, so let me begin to transition. Just remind you, it's all about doing God's will according to God's ways. God's will according to God's ways. There is no other will that counts. There are no other ways that are efficacious. You know what efficacious means? That which accomplishes its purpose. That's what efficacious means. And the principles of God are efficacious. They accomplish the purpose of God. So we've got to tie into those principles. Now, in my book, many of you have this book, what I attempt to do is take much of what I've learned from Dennis and others that are teaching the message of the kingdom 
and I've tried to put together a model for building organizations. So that's what the Beyond Babel model is. So as, a, as you build a startup business, some key elements of God's will and God's ways you know, are expressed in this model. And Joe's going to share with you some, about four key principles. First of all, the motive. Why are you doing what you're doing? And let me say this. If you're doing what you're doing for money, it's the wrong motive. Money is never an issue with God. I mean, we stop and step back and think about it. The creator of the universe, who created all this wonderful thing, and all you got to do is spend a little time studying this universe and the intricacies of this universe, and, and you just can't help but be amazed. It's an amazing place how everything works together so well. I mean, simple, food, simple things like, why is it that our food supply is just perfect for us? That is, if you go to the properly grown foods and vegetables, it's perfect for us. Now, the processed stuff is not, but the stuff that God has put here is really perfect for us. Why would that be? Why is it that we have 80% nitrogen in the atmosphere? Why is that? Do you know why we need that? Why do we need 80% nitrogen in the atmosphere? No, you, no, it's because if you didn't have, if you had 100% oxygen, all it would take is one spark and this whole thing would explode. Because oxygen is very explosive. Remember Apollo 1? Apollo 1 exploded on the launch pad because it was 100% oxygen and they had a spark in the capsule. Boom. Those guys were gone in five seconds. You see, God has fine-tuned this universe. It's just the way it needs to be so we can do what we're called to do. So we've got to get real clear. Money is never an issue with God. You know, if he needs to pay taxes, fine, there's a coin there and a fish. We'll pull it out. Okay, you need wine, fine, we'll turn the water to wine. Okay, you need to walk on water, fine, we walk on water. You see, when we're walking with him, there's resources to do whatever it is he wants done. So the motive for business is never money. It cannot be money. Secondly, transformation process. The reality of, of any organization is you're engaged in a transformation process. And we're in the age of the quick, if it's not quick and easy, I don't want to do it. I don't want to spend any time. I don't want to be, I don't want to work hard. I don't want to be disciplined. I don't want to have to invest a bunch of time, talent, and treasure in anything. I just want it quick. Give me a fix. Tell me what to do right now. That's not the way God works. God's in the process. Have you noticed that when you were born, you were not mature? You know that? You know you were born small? Even Jesus was born small. Anybody, anybody have an exception to that? Were they born fully grown, knowledgeable, already had a Ph.D., they were ready to go? No, it doesn't happen. God's in the transformation. Next thing is calling. God is very intentional. He created you for a reason, so he has a call on your life. Now, as a Southern Baptist, I thought the only people that were called were people called to the ministry. Because ministry was, the word ministry was, was held up in some great high esteem. The reality is we're all called to serve. Ministry means to serve. We're all called to be servants of God. It doesn't matter where he places you, we're all in the ministry. So you've got to find the place you've been called to minister. And finally, you've got to do it with people you can be equally yoked with. You know, if you're not equally yoked, you're going to have lots of conflict and lots of problems, and you will be very inefficient in delivering your value proposition. So with that, Joe Collinger and his case study for you.
Well, first of all, right out of the gate, I just want to say thank you to Dennis. Number one, for God using you to show me um, God as the businessman. That is critical. Number two, I want to I want to say thank you to Gerald because he's been persistent in asking the tough questions. And I do remember that day that we were in Switzerland. Um, I mean, on our way to Switzerland in the Dallas airport, and I was all excited about this software company that I just purchased. And and I could see that he was not sharing my my joy or my enthusiasm. Yeah. It didn't feel like it at the time. Now, why are you doing that? And I had this. I just had to figure, Gerald, you wouldn't understand. It's technical. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, that doesn't work on the physicist. <laughs> so anyway, um, let me just sort of describe to you practically what happened. You know what I did. Um, how it went, and some things that I learned out of it. So, um, let's see, first of all. So, um, I've always had kind of a hankering, I guess as you say in Texas, hankering, yeah, hankering for, for, for owning a company, starting a company, and um, I always thought it'd be a great thing to do, and I grew up in a large corporation, actually where Dilbert was born, so I'm just, I'm well acquainted with the, uh, with the, with the problems of the American corporation. But I always thought, boy, if I could just get my own operation, this would be great, and I could create my own products. It would be absolutely wonderful. So I kind of dreamed of doing that. And uh, so there was, a t there was a point at which I, was, um, I worked for another company on a consulting basis, and I designed a product for them. So um, the product is, uh, there's, there's two, two products that the company has here. Um, let me hit this here. Okay, one, one on, the, on the left-hand side is a, is a project management tool. Okay, so project managers would know what this kind of software is. It helps, you know, visualize the schedule and the information behind the schedule and the cost of the project. The one on the right-hand side is a human resource application, and what it does, um, it will read a human resource database and create organization charts and then use the data for analytics and understanding your organization. It's something that can be used to help design or build an organization. It's a, it's a tool. It's a, it's a piece of a, a technology that can assist. And the one on the right is the product that I designed, and that was about six and a half years ago. I did it for another company, so while I did the design, they owned the software, and I thought, one of these days I'd like to be able to buy it from them. So a close friend of mine uh, who was president of the company said, I can work this out for you, you know, and so we'll, we can leverage our way and you know, get this software. And I thought, well, that's all I need to do is buy some software, and I can put it on the Internet, and it'll just sell like crazy. And then tomorrow, I can learn how to play the flute. All i got to do is blow on this thing and wiggle my fingers around down here. But anyway, so that, that was like six and a half years ago. Now, if you see that little, that little CNET logo on there, so, so my, my product actually has been reviewed by the CNET authors. I mean, this is a... This is a you know a technology you know organization that reviews things. So I've got four and a half out of five stars. I would have had a full five stars had I probably had maybe a less confusing interface for for the product. But in any case, it it stands as probably one of the two best products in the world for doing what it does. And um, I, but I'm I am definitely the underdog. But we're we're up and coming. 
but it was uh, it was quite quite a um, it's been quite a journey. So let me just kind of embark on this, tell you a little more. I, I want to talk about three different deceptions that were um, were involved in my journey here. First of all. Uh, <laughs> The motive. Gerald asked the motive. Why are you doing what you're doing? And um, I thought, look, I just want to make a good living, and I don't want to have to work for these these goofs. And and I thought this was a very legitimate thing. Look, I want to be able to send my kids to school. I want to be able to, um, you know, just have a have a have a lifestyle that would be. Uh, one that I would enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> the next, but, but you know, my, it, tur it turns out my motive was was mammon. It was it was making money, but I couldn't see it. And then calling, you know, was I going to be putting myself in the position where I was playing to my strengths? And you know, I didn't adequately ask that question, but I wasn't going to be playing to my strengths, and I couldn't see it. And then about equal yoking, did I have the right people to work with? And I thought I did. And I thought I could figure pretty much anything out because I was my my background is in doing a lot of problem solving for technical organizations. But again, I, I couldn't see it. So when Gerald said to me, Your your motive is mammon, I would say I take exception to that. It's not. <laughs> and you know, it probably it's it's taken like about five years to see that more clearly. So this has been a real, uh, a, a real journey and a real education. Now, there's a friend of mine who told me about this vision he had. He says, I had this vision where um, I saw all these whales, you know, coming from the ocean and coming onto the beach and spitting out businessmen. And I, I listened to that and I thought, that's interesting. All these businessmen that were trapped in whales who were getting spit out onto the onto the shore and I said to him, did one of those whales have a Officeworks software logo on the side of it? Because <laughs> I was convinced that I was inside a whale. <laughs> yeah, this is the Jonah analogy. This is, so what was, what was going on with Jonah when he was inside? He was saying I had the wrong motive, I had like this is my, my, my calling and running from it. And, and I think of this verse here. This is a verse that Dennis, you you explained to me some time ago. That Jesus had this uh, had this little conversation with his disciples. He says, "I've got much more to say to you, more than you can hear right now." Which I didn't understand at the time, and I didn't value at the time. But looking back, I can see that revelation is progressive. So there's all kinds of things that if I knew them at the beginning, I probably wouldn't have embarked on what I did. I wouldn't have tried. But we talk about all this stuff, doing business God's way and thing. I, I just thought, I want to go do it. So anyway, let's talk about the motive deception. How can you tell if mammon is your aim? Well, it's kind of like, how can you tell if a politician is lying? You know, the, the lips are moving. <laughs> Yeah. So, so the so my friend said, "Look, you want to buy the software and you want to start a company. Obviously, you can't do all of the work yourself. 
I knew I was pretty good at the technology piece, but I knew I needed somebody to sell, to market, to you know help with finance, accounting, things like that. So he said, so-and-so who used to work for me, and his, his name is Bob, okay? And uh, hopefully the tape doesn't go too far, but Bob is a very godly man. He's a very gracious man. He's a very, he's a very sweet guy, very lovable man. And quite frankly, if God had not given him to me as my, my partner at that time, I probably would have had just a ton of trouble with legal fees and jail and all kinds of other stuff. So first of all, I want to say I'm very fortunate that I had a guy with some really mature, godly character. But um, so when we started talking to Bob, Bob is an elder with his, with his church. And I said, when we build this business, you know, where are we going to go with this? He says, well, basically, he says, we're going to make a lot of money for the kingdom of God, and I'm going to go off and, you know, do ministry. And I thought, well, okay, these are noble things. And, of course, God would want to give us a bunch of money so that we could give him back 10%. And <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be happy, we'd be ecstatic. <laughs> so what happens then with, with Bob and myself, I figure, okay, I've got this guy. I've only known him, well, I had one little brief consulting engagement with him. But, but apart from that, the man was a stranger to me. But my friend who was president of this company I was working with, he knew the guy really well. And uh, I figured, well, I'll need this guy for sales. And I thought, okay, this is, this is going to work. The guy even looks kind of presidential. You know, he's, he's a real, real, real pretty man. He's you know, a good-looking good guy. And, um, and I figured this guy is going to probably be very helpful in us, you know, leveraging our way into situations where we need favor. So what happened was, in terms of mammon being the aim, there's the kinds of things that you don't investigate. You know, did I know anything about marketing? Or did he? You know, no. Could he actually sell? Um, and I needed him to. No. Did he know anything about our software? No. Um, but, you know, I figured, you know what, God's into solving problems. God's going to give us holy light, you know, to, <laughs> to see the solution, really. Well, if, we just, if we just call out to God, he's going to show us. We're going to get Holy Spirit downloads of how to solve all these problems. And then the other thing that kind of gave me a clue is the substance of what it is we were talking about was not about what our value proposition was. I think that's one of the ways that is, is we, we kind of looked at it. So what's your value proposition? We're thinking, look, all we got to do is get this product on the Internet, get the shopping cart set up. Get, you know, we didn't even know anything about search engine optimization or these things that were required to, you know, to get you some you know, exposure in the world. We didn't know anything about strategic alliances or things. So we figured all we got to do is these mechanical things. And we weren't paying attention to what is the value that we bring. Why is it that someone's life would be better as a result of this? I mean, because as I look back on it now, number one, the only reason why you start a company or, or a product is because it's the will of God. But okay, more specifically, how does this make somebody's life better? How does this help somebody go where they have to go? 
how does this help somebody obey God? How does this something that tames the chaos on the planet? You know, and, and the failure to address those things more specifically to me is a signal. Squishy or weak value propositions are an indication that you're probably worshiping money. So if you can't articulate it, if you can't live it, if you can't feel it, if it isn't the thing you wake up for to, to add value, it's not to minimize the importance of the money. Don't have a casual attitude about the money. The money is very important, but the money is not the driver. So we weren't asking the question, what is God's will? And I think the other thing is because my friend was thinking that he'll do as much business as necessary so he can run off and do his church stuff, what that says is God really doesn't care that much about our work product. It's really, it really doesn't matter to him. And at those points I was realizing I've got the wrong guy. But apart from that, the other thing I was realizing was we, we couldn't sell any product. <laughs> There's a little verse that I put in here. Um, oh yeah, everybody, <laughs> everybody remembers Billy Madison. <laughs> Wait, call. <on. laughs> okay, there's a there's a key verse in here that didn't make sense to me until just a couple of months ago when I read it. And looking back, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that comes out of the, out of God's mouth. And I thought about this as living by bread is really we got to figure stuff out. we got to go kind of make it, make it happen, as opposed to what is God ordering in us discovering that. And so the motive, as I look back on this, what I, what I learned, is that God's in the software business and he's apprenticing me. He's showing me what he knows. So this, this, this funky idea that we're going to create this company and invite God into it so that he can get his 10% and then leave us alone, <laughs> I didn't see it as crass then as I, as, I, as I do now. But I think the idea was is the Lord is the one who shows us how, how to create things of value. And so it's really worth exploring things. And he, he cares about all these things. And so it's interesting, Gerald, you, know, you talk about you know, when we have a problem, when you have a technical problem, for example, what do you do? And I think of all the times I just beat my head against Walt looking for the, pro for the solution to the problem, and I say, Lord, can you tell me where the problem is? And it's like sometimes it's within minutes, and all of a sudden you look at something and you see something you didn't see before. And it can be a very significant solution. But anyway, this whole thing, this, this verse here I think is, is critical. Um, the calling deception. Specifically, Gerald asked me the question, are you supposed to be doing this? Maybe somebody's supposed to be doing this kind of a business, but the question is, are you supposed to be doing it? Were you made to do what it is that you have designs to do? And I realize that I'm talking about this. We're talking about startups. There's going to be an increased desire for people to get their hands on some kind of an enterprise to make money in, in an economy that has a lot of pressure. So I think increasingly there's going to be people who are going to be able to value from lessons like these. And by the way, these were very expensive lessons. I come from California. There's a little saying that they have in the, in the, the wine growing region. They say, if you want to make a small fortune in, um, 
in wine, start with a big one. <laughs> you know? So all I can say is these were very, very expensive lessons. I could say it's almost the same thing about a software business. Okay, so specifically, what did God make you to do on the earth? Now, I had some sense that I was supposed to start a business. I mean, I really hungered to do that, and I had been figuring out all these inventions and things before we got to the software business. I was always looking for extra ways to make money or create something that was going to be the next pet rock. In fact, I'm the inventor of the Tupperware dinner jacket. I, I don't know if you guys know that, but, but you know, you go to a smorgasbord and you see like a nice big piece of smoked salmon, and you think, how can I get that home without being ghost? So, I mean, you know, the seal and meal pockets and the tuxedo. <laughs> So I, I mean, you don't want to be rude. <laughs> so, so this is this is important. This is important. If you see somebody trying to do stuff like this, they're probably going to get in trouble. So you might want to, you know, get to them early on. And make sure they understand God's way of doing business. So, what did God make you to do? What did He make me to do? I had this desire to solve problems and work with systems and software and, you know, create solutions for people. And, and, I, and I thought that was, that was good enough, but the problem was I, I, creating, creating a, a piece of software is not the same as creating a product. Totally different propositions. And creating a product is not the same thing as creating a company. Those are, those are all wildly, exponentially different propositions. So, so if you have a capability in one thing, don't think that that necessarily scales into a bunch of other things. And all my experience was on the building, you know, software components level. So now you get introduced to these new product life cycles and all the other things involved, like the, the tech support, the marketing, the documentation, all the things that are required to make a product stand on its own. And, and so if you don't have those capabilities, you need to be, you need to make sure you're not committing yourself to something that is just like, Totally fine. It's one thing to reach and to start learning some things, but it's another thing to start betting the farm on stuff that you you don't have a where you don't have the the calling. Number one, if you don't have the calling and the passion for it, you're going to burn out. You're not going to have the energy it takes to see it through. Because just about anything you get involved in is going to require so much more work than you ever thought. And so if you don't have a love for it, you won't let that's the reason I think that's the reason why people say stuff like, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. Well if you're not doing what you love, you're just your your company, your 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 product, your value proposition is just not going to survive. Again, I think it's gonna be one of those things that points back to how I was doing this for the money. But these are a couple of, of verses that I that I wrestled with here and I thought were really were really insightful after we got involved in it. The first one was Psalm 139.16. This was a clue. And by the way, I also want to say the Strategic Life Alignment Seminar that Gerald does has been wonderful in helping to, you know, provide a repeatable process so that you could, you know, go through these, these major questions of, of calling, character, capability, commissioning, and, and context, all of these things. This repeatable process is very helpful. But this is a verse, I think, that I, I picked up along the way on my journey. It says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, which told me that God had, has blueprints on each one of us before he created us. So he has a specific will. He has a specific design. 
And if you can imagine create, you know, if you're going to build a house, you need the blueprints. Well, if you can imagine building a house without blueprints, I mean, that'd be a postmodern house, right? And it couldn't, be, and it wouldn't be something that scales. It could be a hut, you know, it could be a, it could be a tent, it could be a lean-to or a tree fort, but anything that's going to scale has got to have, you know, some real thoughtful blueprint behind it. And that's what each one of, of us have that our father did. And then our assignment for we're God's workmanship created, by, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. So he already determined the blueprint. He already determined what we were to accomplish. So the question now is not, can I go out and figure out my own calling? The question now is, can I go out and can I discover what's in Father's heart and what's in his plan and what's in his mind? So walking that out is important and playing to your strengths. So I got involved in all these things where I was doing absolutely everything and my, my partner was off, you know, running church services and, you know, just, you know, you know, comforting people. I mean, I wasn't comforted. <laughs> I'd say, we're not selling. What are you doing about it? Now, listen, brother, you know, it's like, see, see you at Promise Keepers. No, you won't. <laughs> You get your hide back here and sell something. <laughs> I'll give you a promise. <laughs> um, this is apply the C4 process. All I can say, again, this has, been, this has been a journey to find out, okay, if something broke down along the way, if, if this, this machine is being built and if we keep giving input to the machine, and we're not getting, you know, good output, then the question is, what's, what's wrong here? Is it the input? Is it the machine? Is it neither are correct? And so that's one of the things that really drove me to invest in spiritual food and invest in going as deep in God as I could to figure out what is going on here from God's perspective. And I'd have to say it's a process. We're the transformation is definitely not done. Um, this one point here, more detail, not just bullet points. I would say that for the most part, things that I understood and things that my friends and, and associates and even the, a lot of the people in the church talk about, I think are, are bullet points. And I think that the things that, that, we, that, that we study, that we learn, that we talk about, those things are, are for us to extrapolate. I expect that the work that Dennis has done, I need to take. He's, he's, the Lord has used him to open up some windows of, of light so that we can see. But I think there's a lot left for, for, for each one of us and for the people that come after us to walk out in detail. And so this is, uh, this is Psalm 139, 130. The unfolding of your word brings light. So it's not like, bam, lights go on and we see everything and fine, we're done, and now we can go off to, you know, do our agendas. Again, this, this whole issue of calling, it's like, why is it that you're doing this? Joe? Yeah. Can you repeat the last scripture? Yeah, the last, I just put it right here. It's Psalm 139, 130. The unfolding, 119, 130. Yeah, the unfolding of your word. I just, I, in fact, I just saw that like a week ago. And the other thing that's interesting to me, is that the Psalms never made any sense to me. I had absolutely no connection with the Psalms. They didn't make any sense. And then, through this whole process, you find yourself crying out to God. 
you know, you go bet in the ranch on, on you know, one of these businesses, and you'll you'll start finding yourself. It's like, okay, I tried, I tried looking to you know Bob to sell stuff. Bob's not selling stuff. We need to change the players or something here, you know. And and I started looking in the Psalms, and I saw there another another one I thought was very interesting is Psalm 107. Psalm 107, there's like several instances there of people who either through their error, their arrogance, their presumption, had gotten into trouble, and they cried out to God, and God helped them. And there was one specifically about business, about the merchants who went out to sea, and they were just going through just absolute havoc, and they were scared to their wit's end. They, they just didn't know what else to do. And I thought that really describes a situation when you get into in business where you're just like, ah, man, just, God, I don't know what else to do. And he, he spoke, he hushed the storm, calmed the seas, and he brought them to their desired haven. And so when I started reading that stuff in the Psalms, I thought, you know, this really expresses God's heart and God's ways. And even if I feel like I've messed up, you know, on the way I've gone about this, there's got to be some hope for redemption in it. And so the Lord started showing me a number of these things and actually started responding to my cries for help. So I just say, I really learned a whole lot more about who Father is as a result of this process. And I can really relate to the Psalms. I mean, it's just, I, I, I really just find a, a whole lot more in there than I ever did before. Equal yoking deception. Well, I think as the story goes, um, Bob was really not called to, to, to be in the software business. Um, why? He was in for money. Yeah, Bob was in it for money so that he could go off and do the Lord's will. Isn't that funny? Um, I don't know. We're such we're such characters. Anyway, um, it was it was powerfully at work, as they say in Texas. <laughs> So yeah, we we had an unequal yoking situation here. <laughs> okay. Now the one problem the one problem I had here was that was that I had you'll know and this this is this is so stupid it's not it's not funny so don't you guys tell anybody. But when I went up to a partnership with Bob, I I would say look I'll put in a buck you put in a buck so and and we'll be fifty fifty, and he says. Okay, and then after we got going for a while, I just thought, wait a second. This guy, he may be putting some money in, but he's not selling anything. I've got all the expertise. I'm carrying all the weight of this thing. And I would just say to you, don't ever do a 50-50 partnership unless it's with your wife or your husband. Don't, 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 even, don't even think about it. Um, anyway, I could, uh, that, that's a, like a book I want to do. The other part here is don't abuse people by using them contrary to their design. Here was, here was one of the problems I had with Bob. I needed Bob to sell. I needed Bob to market. I needed Bob to do, you know, the customer relationship. No, I need I needed it. I needed him to do those things. But the problem was, 
it wasn't in Bob. So I went back to my friend who recommended him to me, and I said, I said, I'm having this trouble with Bob. He can't, he can't sell. And my friend says, yeah, he never could sell for me. <laughs> I go, oh. And I'm just thinking, it's like, and I thought, I thought you were a brother, you know. And I think what it was going on is he was really thinking about how could he help his, his friend who was kind of like, you know, out of work. You know, the guy had money to invest, but he was, he was out of work and, because he couldn't sell. And I didn't know that. So anyway, um, I, needed, I needed him to do something that wasn't in him to do. And how there's times we, when you match up with somebody who's asking me, I want to start a business and I want to go into partnership with so-and-so. And I said, why, why do you want to do that? Well, because I got this product and such. Well, does that person have even any of the capability that you need? Well, no, but he's a brother. You know, it's like, okay, you know, go, go ahead. Um, superimposing your agenda. So there's times when if you, if you really want to abuse somebody, treat them according to your will versus their design. So if the Lord has a design on a person, the question you've got to keep asking is, you know, does this assignment, is, is this the assignment for this person? Am I using this person in a way that's congruent with their design and with, the, 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 the specific will of God on their life. And if you come from a big corporation, quite frankly, it doesn't matter. You just kind of, you plug people in. You take people, you know, put them in places where you can leverage their strengths and where their weaknesses don't really matter. And you do that kind of on a mass basis. But us, as individuals who are working with others, we need to be much more attuned to the fact of the dignity of man, whereas God has a specific design on each person. Then the other question is, if you want to go into business with somebody, did Bob and I have shared values? Well, I was, you know, if you, if you share values with somebody and you go into partnership with them, you guys can work at the speed of thought. But when you don't share values, you're going to constantly be, you know, be, be missing each other. You're not speaking the same language. You're not going in the same direction. The same intent is not, is not easily communicated. So, I was really glossing past this to, to really see, did Bob and I really share values? I basically struck up a partnership with a person who was a stranger. Now, when you're testing these things out and you're impatient to get a deal done, you know, that's the motive, that's the mammon motive pushing you. And I remember, I remember, you know, guys who were talking about trying to you know, meet a single guys who are trying to, you know, find a wife, for example. They, they were talking about being equally yoked and, you know, is the girl a Christian? And, and you know, some of the guys are getting pretty desperate. So they'd, they would say stuff like, well, you know, are you a Christian? And they, they didn't respond to that. So, well, do you believe in a higher power? You know? You know? And, and then the last question you might ask, if you don't get one, a warm one from that, you say, well, you know, um, did you see Star Wars? <laughs> and then she says, yeah, well, praise God, she's a Christian. <laughs> you know? So you've got you to be careful about reading your, your agenda into the, into the situation. If the person doesn't share values, then, and so this is the conclusion, some lessons learned. Um, this is a transformational process versus an event. So to, to, make, to make a long story short, Bob got replaced by 
um, another person that I've, I've known for a, for a long time. And he's, he's a guy who's very talented, very able. Um, there's, there's, still, there's still things in process, but the, the arrangement is a thousand times better. And I'm very fortunate that Bob was a, a, a man of God because, again, this could have been, legally, this could have been a real problem. But Bob was, Bob was very, you know, gracious about, you know, you know, getting out of this and we got a replacement. Um, but anyway, this whole thing was a process. It's a learning process. Had I known all these things at the beginning, I wouldn't have done it. But now that I look back, I think, it's like I've learned, I've learned a ton. Revelation is progressive. So the whole idea of, you know, you learning everything in an instant, you know, you know forget about it. Um, keep moving towards your C4 purpose. Again, these are the things we get out of the strategic life alignment and things that Dennis teaches. But the idea is, it's like, okay, I, I don't have all the alignment figured out. Just keep, keep moving in that direction. It's going to improve your value proposition. It's going to improve the quality of what you do. Um, go beyond the bullet points, and for that, I, I think I think models are needed. You, you know, if we have to flesh out. You know, maybe your your assignment or my assignment is just a small assignment. We don't have to be general managers of the planet. That's okay. If if I can just invent a better light bulb, I, I'd be really happy. And I, the light bulbs is not what I do, but but the product I have is actually there's a piece of it that's patented. And, um, you know, there's some exciting things that are happening, but, and I can see that it's God totally that has turned and created some of these opportunities. I, I, I think they're in response to me working to discover what he wants. But again, I, the, the whole issue is whether it makes money or not, it's, it's subordinated to am I doing what he's, what he's asking, what he's carved out. So. Um, those are the those are the key those are the key lessons. Apart from that, it's been a very pleasant journey. <laughs>